Wrestling Contest is scheduled for one fall. Please welcome Mr. Freds. What is the one quality that you possess that makes you think that you can walk out here and come into the ring and face the very best in the business? Ruthless aggression. What is up, peeps? Welcome to episode 123 of the Fretzelmania podcast. I am the North American treasure, Mr. Fretz. Today I am reviewing Vengeance. 2003 and doing yet another 20 bell salute where i look 20 years ago in the very same month to talk about the movies the music and the video games of the time we have cult classic movies we have some of my favorite music of all time and some pretty damn good video games if you're a fan of uh, star wars there's a spoiler for one of them so not wasting any time folks let's get into the movies of 2003 now if you don't recognize the 8-bit version of this movie's theme i do not know <laughs> what to tell you it's the room it's directed by and written by and produced by and starring tommy wiseau this is considered like the Citizen Kane of bad movies. This was originally only shown in a limited number of California theaters, and it became a cult classic due to its bizarre and unconventional storytelling, the technical and narrative issues, and of course it would gain internet infamy due to reviewers like the Nostalgia Critic. And much later on, I think around 2013 or 2014, something like that, we had a film released about this very movie called The Disaster Artist. It is based on uh, memoirs by one of the uh, uh, members of the cast by Greg Nathero. It would, it would um, I think James Franco played Tommy Wiseau in that movie, and that is uh, very apt acting. If I got that wrong, I, I apologize. I didn't do much of a research for this. But if, if you don't know this movie, then stop listening to this podcast right now. Press pause. Come back to me later. Find this movie, whether it's streaming, whether you download it, watch it. It has to be seen to be believed. Don't just watch... The Nostalgia Critic talk about it. Watch this movie. And if you take my advice, which I don't recommend taking my advice for very many things in life, watch this with friends. Watch this at a theater if you have a theater that does showings of this movie. It has to be seen to be believed. Don't just watch the Nostalgia Critic's review of it. Watch this movie. It's truly something else. 
Speaking of a movie that's something else that sparked off an entire franchise, we have the inaugural Pirates of the Caribbean movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl, the very first appearance of Captain Jack Sparrow. You know, Pirates movies, you have Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom, Kira Knightley, Jonathan Price. It's pirates. It's swashbuckling. It's 1720 in Port Royal, Jamaica. It's fun. I mean, the fourth, the last, whatever the last Pirates movie was, has left a lot to be desired. But one, two, and three were very, very good movies. And speaking of fun movies, we have Johnny English. It is a spy action comedy film. This is a James Bond spoof starring... Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, also starring Natalie Ambruglia. I am torn on how to pronounce her name. And, of course, John Malkovich being John Malkovich, just not being John Malkovich. The movie. Uh, it's a spy movie. It's Johnny English. It's a bumbling British spy, James Bond wannabe, because everyone else died and he was the only guy left for the English government to hire there's a really funny bit here with abba's does your mother know where he is unwittingly unknowingly uh in his under ruse singing when he's really supposed to be uh trying to prove that the bad guy's a bad guy and going after the british crown pascal sauvage played of course by john malkovich i think there's one is there two sequels to this movie i don't know i've only seen the original this was fun. Uh, I briefly dated a girl who adored this movie, so we watched this a few times, and it takes me back to that. And other movies that don't really take me back, we have Bad Boys 2, because it took forever for a Bad Boys sequel to come out. Gee, I wonder what that's like. And Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, uh, the one Terminator movie you do not need to see. Legally, Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde, Reese Witherspoon, uh, Blonde Lawyer, Go to the White House. You you don't need to see those movies. Uh, out of here, you got to see The Room and Johnny English because they are just absolutely hilarious in their own ways. In music, the music this month is literally catered to me. Because we have one of my favorite bands of all time in here with Five Iron Frenzy, The End Is Near. And they're a band from Denver, Colorado, where Vengeance 2003 emanates. And actually around this time, uh, this band was about to break up and go their own separate ways. Uh, Five Iron Frenzy is a ska band from Denver, Colorado, who in the mid-90s and early 2000s, played a lot on the Christian music scene. So you would see them at gatherings like Cornerstone or Kingdom Bound. Uh, Kingdom Bound, uh, which I've been to, is a multi-day Christian music event at Six Flags in Darien Lake in New York State. I went there one year, and it was a lot of fun. Skillet, Thousand Foot Crutch, Pillar, Disciple, some of those band names you might recognized a disciple actually played the uh theme song for the team of zach Ryder and um kurt hawkins when they played the edgeheads 
more you know. Now, Five Iron Frenzy, uh, they broke up in 2003. They had their uh, farewell concert at at a venue in uh, Denver. I can't remember the off the top off the top of my head. It might be the same one that I went to years later because in 2012 they reunited, and my friend and I drove from uh, Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, to Denver, Colorado, just to see their reunion show in a in a dingy little bar. Castleman's, I think, is the name of the venue where they had their uh, farewell show. And in those years, since they broke up, went their separate ways and came back, uh, lead singer Reese Roper, man I've met on a number of occasions, uh, had other side projects like uh, his um, Space Rock trilogy band called Brave St. Saturn. Just, just look it up. It's it's mind-blowing. Some good stuff. And other members of the band had things like side projects like Yellow Second and Roper, uh, Leonore uh, Ortega Till, a.k.a. Jeff the Girl, had a poetry book, and she had some side projects. In 2012, they all came back together. But they have not been in the Christian music in parentheses scene in some time due to one or two of their members over the years becoming, I don't want to speak for them spiritually, but I think uh, one of them, uh, Scott Kerr, and another one are either agnostic or atheist. And if somehow they hear this and I get it wrong, I apologize. You know, I've met this band and they are absolutely phenomenal people. Like I'm friends with uh, Micah, one of the, I think he's, is he a guitar player or a trombone? I don't know which one he is. Micah, I'm sorry if you hear this. I've met him a couple of times. And Five Iron, they they were really known for kind of pushing the envelope a little bit where they would reference the fact, in even in their own songs, on one on this album in particular, where, you know, where they won't play her songs on the radio, they won't put her music on the shelf. Due to the fact that they sing about things that the church kind of doesn't want people to sing about for some reason. You know, they, they've called out hypocrisies in the church. You know, they've sung about, uh, about homophobia, like when Reese was a kid and he would talk about um, Freddie Mercury. They, they write a song about Freddie Mercury and talking about the homophobia of people because of him and how he was wrong to think certain things about him when he died and all that. And they would even sing about things like Manifest Destiny and the, you know, the slaughter of Native Americans. And it got under the skin of, of the church. You know, they did this one duo with uh, Randy Stonehill. He's a Christian music guy who is a little bit, I think, maybe left-leaning. I can maybe say that this band is also left-leaning because they call out a lot of political bullshit, especially in their uh, their last album, Until It Shakes Apart. Go check it out. You know, they call out a lot of hypocrisies in North American evangelical Christianity. And quite honestly, as a as a believer myself, it it's warranted. It's very deserving. It's very eye-opening too. And the one thing I respect about this band is that they respect that where they all are spiritually. Like I think at least one of them is or was a minister. And one of them or two of them being agnostic atheist or whichever one. But they gather together because they're friends and they love each other and they love performing and love doing music. And 
that's why I've always adored Five Iron Frenzy because they were more authentic with their faith. They weren't putting on a show for the sake of a show, right? Uh, look at the song by John Foreman from uh, Switchfoot. Instead of a show, it's based on a Bible verse in the book of Amos. That's, I'm just going to leave it at that and let you research that. I've talked enough about Five Iron Frenzy. You know, I'm again, one of my favorite bands of all time. The end is near. This being their last album, they, of course, exit this album with the outro to one of their biggest hits, Every New Day, one of my favorite songs of all time. Of course, the end wouldn't be near for them because the next year they would release this album with the live farewell concert, The End Is Here, and then release two more albums since reuniting in 2012. Also in music, we had Muse, Stockholm Syndrome, very, very good album. The Darkness, Permission to Land. I believe in a thing called love, girlfriend, just an absolute throwback to 80s hair metal and the music videos just take me back to bands like, you know, Skid Row and Cinderella and Poison, Motley Crue, all the old school hair metal. And they're doing it in such a way in 2003 that isn't condescending, but it's really creative and it just, you know, takes us back to a, a certain time. Yellow Card, Ocean Avenue. I mean, it's the only song I know from this is, uh, oh, there's two songs off, off of this that I absolutely loved. We had Yellow Card, uh, the song Ocean Avenue itself. You know, I've heard Ant talk about it a lot, like, they roll roll around with bands like the Used. Again, another shout out to uh, to Aunt Stefano, Ocean Avenue, and the Only One. Is that the name of that song? Yeah, phenomenal tracks from this album. Absolutely love it. Pretty emo, but you know that's okay. And of course, uh, Three Days Grace self titled album. Now, if you know Three Days Grace, they did various themes for WWE. I think you heard them on the soundtrack to SmackDown versus Raw. Uh, they had the song, I Hate Everything About You and Just Like You. They're both from this album. You know, Three Days Grace comes from a small town in Ontario, Canada, not far from where I grew up. I believe the town was called Norwood, just outside of Peterborough. Shout out to the Queen, Danny Nolan. And now the video games. It's pretty light, but there's something for everyone in here. We had Mario Golf, Toadstool, Tour for the GameCube, say that five times fast. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, you know, one of the best Star Wars games that has ever seen the light of day. You know, I'm not very partial when it comes to the Star Wars. I watched the original trilogy. I like the original trilogy. Maybe not so much Jedi. I avoided the other six movies, like The Plague, and of course I also avoided Rogue One and... Uh, who was it? Solo had his own movie? Nah, sorry. I'll stick to the OGs for now. Uh, but it's uh, it's considered one of the goats. You know, we were supposed to get a remake of it a couple of years ago. It hasn't seen the light of day. It's something that I would pick up and play. The only other Star Wars games that I've played are Super Star Wars for the Super Nintendo and Episode One Pod Racer for the 64. And then we also had Warcraft 3, Frozen in Time. Not something that I really dabbled into. 
And of course, this month's Rapple Surfing segment is brought to you by Ring of Honor's inaugural Death Before Dishonor on July 19th, 2003 from the Rexplex in Elizabeth, New Jersey in front of approximately 1,200 fans, at least according to prowrestling.fandom.com slash wiki this show. Low-key defeated Deranged. Matt Stryker beat Jimmy Rave. Texas Wrestling Academy, the school of uh, Shawn Michaels' fame, represented by Don Juan, Fast Eddie, Hot Stuff Hernandez, yes, that Hernandez from the LAX, and Rudy Boy Gonzalez defeated the Carnage crew of DeVito, Just Incredible, Lope, and Masada in an eight-man tag team weapons match. The purists, that being John Walters and Tony Mamaluke, beat the outcast killers, Omen Tortuga and Diablo Santiago. I don't know who they are. Tom Carter beat Doug Williams. Oof. That'll be a barn burner of a match. BJ Whitmer beat Holt Cabana and Dan Maff, accompanied by Allison Danger, and Homicide accompanied by Julia Smokes in the number one contender's trophy four-corner survival match. Is Russo booking this shit? That's wordy. Let's call it a number one contender's match. So Whitmer is going to wrestle the uh, winner of the world championship match. Special K, not the world champions, uh, Angel Dust, Dixie, Hydro, and Mikey Whipwreck, who follows me on Twitter, shout out to Mikey, Beat the backseat boys, Johnny Casimir and Trent Acid, and the SAT, Joel and Jose Maximo, in an eight-man tag team scramble match. Oh boy, scramble matches. Hey, this Kyle from the Apron Bump podcast about scramble matches. By the way, uh, by the time you hear this, I will have been on the Apron Bump podcast, so shout out to cute Kyle. A man making his... ROH debut, and I did not know that he dabbled in ROH after his release. Jeff Hardy beat Joey Matthews and Crazy K in a three-way dance. Now, I know Jeff had been already been released by this point, but I did not know he wound up in ROH. I thought he went right to TNA. Huh, the more you know. C.M. Punk beat Raven in a dog collar match. This is where it is. I've been waiting to talk about when this was going to happen. I don't think I watched this match, but man, this was a feud that was going on for quite some time. So it's great to see that it finally got its climax here. Giggity. I'm going to have to wait and see what a cute Kyle thinks about this when he reviews this show. I wasn't on that one. Uh, spoiler alert, I was on In Your House, Beware of Dog. AJ Styles and the Amazing Red, accompanied by Alexis Lurie, retained their ROH World Tag Team Championships against the Briscoe Bros. Uh, R.I.P. Jay Briscoe. And in the main event, Samoa Joe, the ROH World Champion, retained his title against Paul London 
Now, I have Paul London's Best of ROH DVD called Please Don't Die. It's a banger. I recommend it if you were a fan of his like I was back in the day. This was his last match before he would go on to be signed by the WWE. We would see Paul London on our screens in the WWE, I think, within the next couple of months, having an enhancement match with Brock Lesnar, I believe, and then forming a team with Brian Kendrick before Kendrick would get released for the first time, and then go on velocity and contend for the Cruiserweight Championship. So now, Paul London is another guy that graduated from the Texas Wrestling Academy alongside the likes of uh, the late Lance Cade, uh, Brian Danielson, and so many more. So, London was a great cruiserweight in its time, and I just attached to him as the rest of the internet was at that point in time. And finally, Sunday Night Heat, the Ultimo Dragon beat Canyon. So, just for that night... We answered the question of who better than Canyon. And that night, it was Ultimo Dragon. When I come back from the break, folks, I am breaking down the entire card of Vengeance 2003. Stay tuned. You are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio, the cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast. It's Friday, y'all. And you know exactly what that means. And if you don't know, you're about to find out. Because it's time to listen to the classiest Canadian I know. It's time for the Fretzelmania podcast right here on WrestleAddict Radio. The cure for the common wrestling podcast. And welcome back, peeps. It is time to talk about Vengeance 2003. From the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado, in front of approximately 9,500 fans and a buy rate of 365,000. This took place on July 27th, 2003. And the Pepsi Center in Denver, it is a venue that I have been to, uh, but it has been uh, 10 years and it is now called something else. I went there for a Colorado Avalanche game. I was in town on a road trip uh, one year after the uh, Five Iron Frenzy reunion show that my friend and I went to, we returned to Denver for another four-way into the city. And this time we decided to take in an avalanche game. It was the last game of the season. They finished last in the West, and uh, they lost to Minnesota Wild, who qualified for the playoffs, I think, during that game. And they were a pretty bad team that year. You know, just last year they'd won the Stanley Cup, and uh, Curtis McDermott bought the top home to Sable Beach, which was really cool to see. You know, Denver is another connection with uh, Five Iron Frenzy, who I talked about in the music segment, and of course a connection with uh, my good brother from another good mother, Zach, Mr. YLP, who resides in Colorado State. Denver, pretty nice city. I would like to re- visit there again just to get to Rocky Mountain National Park just to get to Estes Park, Colorado, one more time, that would be that would be fantastic. Now, this uh, is a SmackDown exclusive pay per view. Of course, I'm talking about it because I only talk about SmackDown in 2003. You won't see me talking about Bad Blood or Unforgiven. Ugh, just no, 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 thank you. Kicking off this show, we have Eddie Guerrero 
versus Chris Benoit in the finals of the U.S. title tournament to determine the inaugural WWE United States champion. Over on Monday Night Raw, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the co-GM, sheriff, whatever you want to call him, decided to bring back the IC title. So Stephanie McMahon, always the competitive one, said, hey, you know what? SmackDown deserves a mid-card title as well. So why not bring back one of the historic belts of the WCW era, the U.S. title? And Eddie and Benoit, I believe, are former WCW U.S. title holders in their own right, but they're coming over to the other side to contend for this new belt. Now, this bracket... Uh, it was a pretty good tournament. You know, I talked about a good chunk of it on the SmackDown reviews. I know I skipped a few. I'm going to be skipping a few as uh, the summer months go around. I might only do one or two more podcasts before now and the end of the summer. It just depends on work and, and life and such. So we had a, a good bracket here. Uh, Billy Gunn was in there and John Cena was in there. Altimo Dragon, Eddie Guerrero. It was a good one. And there is a factor here, and it's called the Rhino Factor. Now, Rhino, of course, is a friend and tag team partner of Chris Benoit. Rhino, I believe, was also in this tournament and was eliminated rather early. And here we go. Eddie Guerrero coming out to the ring in a really nice decked out lowrider with a vanity plate that says, For you haters, you know, for you H-8-R-S, just mwah. Just a chef's kiss right there. Say magnifique. And Eddie here, uh, he's supposed to be a heel, at least on paper, but he is way too over. And that just reminds me of a of another guy whose name is L.A. Knight. Yeah. Uh, toothless aggression shirt by Chris Benoit. And this match just kicks off. If you've seen Eddie, any Eddie and Benoit match, you've seen... I don't want to say you've seen them all because they're all really, really good. Maybe except for their ECW uh, One Night Stand match from 05. It was bad. So bad that they like had to apologize to each other backstage. But this one was just fantastic. We had a lot of chain and counter and technical and, and high-flying wrestling here. There's a test of strength. Eddie Guerrero with it, her and Conrana. They're trading pins and arm drags as if they were Steamboat and, and Flair from the 80s. And I noticed right away here, Eddie is, he is huge. Like, he is jacked up. He's got a lot of acne, so I think he's uh, getting a little bit of help from Uncle Roy, if you will. Eddie has a side headlock, uh, the chin lock, the Davy Boy Smith special, and I always hear during these summer shows a loud air conditioning unit on in the arena. Now, Mile High City in, in the summer, it can get pretty toasty out there, and I'm pretty sure Mr. YLP can attest to this. I went there in April, and I sweat like crazy there, right? Because we were just, we were only a couple hours away from snow on the top of a mountain, get to the main part of the city, it's sunny and warm, it's like, 25 degrees Celsius. It's it's weird. We see a really nice spot here where there is a tombstone. 
that lady is going for it is reversed into another tombstone, but no swerve, bro. It's a shoulder breaker. Like Chris Benoit, crossface, Eddie reaches the ropes, and we have a suicide dive by Chris Benoit. And the sound of Chris Benoit's head hitting Eddie's body gave Cole the line of, Did you hear the sound of Eddie of Benoit hitting Eddie here? It's like the Broncos training facility and just nonchalantly Taz is like, Oh, the Broncos suck. Uh yeah, they 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 kind of do. You know, I'm a Chiefs fan. Just won the Super Bowl again. Uh, Broncos, nah, man, nah. Benoit works Eddie's shoulder through the rest of this match. Eddie has a back, back elbow and a super hurricanrana. Benoit lands the super back suplex. The same move that almost like ended him in 2001. Like, look at King of the Ring 2001, where he did that move to, I believe it was Chris Jericho in the main event of that triple threat with Jericho Benoit and... Austin, uh, it was the straw that broke the camel's back because Benoit was running ragged in 2001. His neck was hanging out literally, literally by a thread, and then that move just broke it. We see Suplex City in the Mile High Club or in the Mile High City. Backbreaker is flipped out, and Eddie hits the Three Amigos. A frog splash, but Benoit moves out of the way. We have a power bomb, head but a. Uh, while Eddie, oh, headbutt while Eddie is on the ground, and Eddie puts the ref in the way, and we have a ref bump here. Rhino comes into the ring, and we think he's going to gore Eddie Guerrero, but swerve. He gores his friend Chris Benoit while the ref is down. Eddie's feeling a little froggy, goes for the frog splash, and wins this match and wins the United States Championship. Backstage, Steph and Vince are having a chat, and there's a nice bouquet of flowers conveniently placed behind Vince. We think it's going to be for Stephanie, but Vince is like, you know, even I like to stop and smell the roses once in a while. And they allude to uh, how rough of a week it's been, because on Monday Night Raw, Kane tombstone Linda. And Vince says that, well, tomorrow night on Raw, I'm, I'm confronting Kane. Stephanie alludes to this line that Vince said that is, I hope you get incapacitated like your mom. Just, dude. And then passive-aggressively, as if Vince is trying to end the argument and win the fight, he's just like, I got you flowers, okay? Here. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Not these nice, laid-out, proper bouquet of roses. Those are for Sable. These crappy little Walmart array these loser ones are for you, okay? I got you flowers. And we go on from this weird segment because Vince and Steph are going to have some weird segments throughout the rest of the year. And I'm glad that certain angles didn't happen. I don't know if they were ever pitched or if it was ever true, but if that's all legit, just ew. And speaking of you, we have an indecent proposal match. Jamie Noble versus Billy Gunn. Now, leading up to this, we had Jamie Noble bribing Tori Wilson. I think it was $25,000 to sleep with him, despite the fact that Jamie Noble has a girlfriend in Nadia. Uh, Jamie's getting a little bit frivolous with his uh, inheritance money that he won some weeks ago. 
He got a really nice trailer. He got his girl a really nice mock make for quote, ma, chef's kiss, c'est magnifique. But he's been infatuated with Tori, well, ever since she posed for Playboy. I mean, I'm just a man. I'm merely just a man, but that is another man's woman. And you have a woman, Jamie. So, yeah, a little bit of jealousy here with, with Nadia throughout this whole deal. So if Jamie wins, he gets to spend the night with Corey Wilson. And I think the bribery is still implied here. So this is basically a soliciting prostitution match, but not quite. Maybe it's just soliciting sex for money. Yeah, it's 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 that it's <laughs> it's literally that like th this is so, so messed up. Yeah, Jamie Noble goes for a Brett's Rope DDT and in the. In the midst here, uh, Nydia puts Billy Gunn's foot on the rope. Tori goes to slap Jamie, but Jamie blocks it. And then kisses her. And then, I think, uh, Nydia trips Jamie on the rope. There's a schmoz here that breaks out into a spot here where Billy Gunn unwittingly bumps into Tori on the apron. Jamie rolls up the tights and wins the indecent proposal match and wins... Tori for a night. And you can see Tori mouth, oh shit. <laughs> oh shit indeed, Tori. Uh, that, um, no. No. Just no. <laughs> I was entertained by it at the time, but now I'm looking at this, and I'm just like, nah, man. I'm, I'm out. I'm tapping out. Next, we have the APA Invitational. Basically a hardcore title plunder match without the hardcore title. Set at a makeshift bar constructed at the entranceway. We had the APA, Funaki, Joint the Clown, played by Eugene Dinsmore, John Hannigan, a.k.a. Johnny Nitro, Johnny TV, Johnny Impact, whatever the heck you want to call him, uh, the late Matt Capitelli, R.A.P., both waiters of uh, Tough Enough, Shannon Moore and Matt Hardy version 1, Sean O'Hare, Brother Love, the FBI, the Bashams, Brian Kendrick, the Easter Bunny, played by Damian Sandow, Los Conquistadores, played by Rob Conway and Johnny from the Spirit Squad, Canyon, R.A.P., Orlando Jordan, and the Brooklyn Brawler. When Doink came out, Taz is like, hey, I, I got Dink right here. No comment. And I wrote down here network WTF and the uh, the network on the um, the website for me I was has been malfunctioning somewhat as of late. So it took me a long time to get through the rest of this bit. Uh, Brian Kendrick is dancing on the table to all the entrance themes, which is really funny. Uh, today's Matt Facts is uh, Matt hates bar fights. Brother Love cuts a promo, you know, trying to. Uh, Open the festivities up in a little bit of prayer. Invite the Holy Spirit into this bar. He's like, just because I love you doesn't mean I like you. Spoken like a true Christian there, Brother Love. He's like, you two would make fine altar boys. Don't go there. Do not. Ugh, go there. So we see Sean O'Hare, who has lately been the King of Velocity, not shown very much on SmackDown, unfortunately. 
we get a bunch of weapon shots and table bumps and pool cues and Funaki then gets so drunk he passes out in his stool. We see the Tough Enough boys trying to get their licks in. And the winner of this match is the, the last one drinking. Test your toughness and your liver. We see a Cracker Barrel barrel here in this match. And no, it wasn't like the Cracker Barrel from, what was it? The inaugural all-in one with um, Darby Allen and uh, Joey Janela, I think. And uh, was it Jimmy Rave? I can't remember the name of the third guy in that Cracker Barrel match. But yeah. So the ref here is also the bartender. And Bradshaw's the last man drinking. And he wins this plunder match. Of course it's Bradshaw because he is a notorious drinker and bully backstage. So why wouldn't he, excuse me, be the last one drinking? Backstage, Jamie Noble pawns over Tori Wilson's spread because that's what I'm going to see later on. Wink, wink. Next up for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, we have the world's greatest tag team, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin, going up against Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman. The filthy animals have reunited. World's, world's greatest tag team here are two-time tag team champions, and the filthy animals are former WCW Cruiserweight champions. Oh, hang on. Cruiserweight tag team champions and world tag team champions in their own right. And this match was all just tag team spots and tag team moves and high flying and technical stuff. This was a damn good match. This might be second best match of the night. We have both a leapfrog and a 619 denied by these teams. Ray hits a senton to the outside, sends Haas to the outside, and then we get Billy Kidman in a bump that... He would only take a couple more of as, as the years would go on with a shooting star press to the outside, garnering holy shit chants from the crowd that even Taz had to acknowledge, saying, my sentiments, exactly. And when Billy Gunn, Billy Edman was in midair, Vuvuzela uh, went off. That's one thing I don't miss about wrestling today is I don't hear obnoxious horns going at every other spot thank goodness i did not hear them at forbidden door either because that would have made the experience a little bit annoying and i may have uh, I'm, i might have to get heat with some people if if i heard them like in my vicinity so shelton jerks kidman off the ropes shelton hits a locks in a bow and arrow lock on Kidman, who tries to reverse the pinfall, but to no avail. Ray with a hot tag, but the ref never saw, so the world's greatest tag team continuing working over Billy. Shelton with a powerbomb and goes for a second, but is, but is countered into an X-Factor by Kidman, who crawls to the wrong corner, but finally gets the hot tag. Ray Mysterio gets an Enziguri, a sunset flip for a two-count, a DDT for a near-fall, Passes tagged in a 619 and a senton, but the ref is distracted. And we see a boot, we see a boot and assisted Hurricanrano. A really nice spot by, by Kidman, who launches Ray into a prone Shelton Benjamin on the corner for an assisted Hurricanrano. I think that was the same move that won them 
either the Cruiserweight Tag or the World Tag Team Championships in WCW. But that only got a two count in the in the double double E. Finally, there's a blind tag and there's a modified modified doomsday heart attack powerbomb move by the world's greatest tag team who retain the championships in a pretty damn good match, if I do say so myself. Pretty underrated when it comes to tag team wrestling in 2003 because, well, the rest of the year, we got acts like the Bashams and we got the APA are still a thing. World's Greatest Tag Team are still a thing. I think Tag Team Wrestling on SmackDown is kind of on its way down. And it only gets worse in 2004, but mercifully, I am not reviewing 2004. I think I've already told you what my plans are in the new year, but we have to get there first, Lord willing. Next up, I'm just going to tear this one off like a like a Band-Aid on a hairy leg once again. Steph versus Sable. Terrible plotting match. Terrible offense. Steph and Sable suck in the ring. Sable's top somehow comes undone. A-Train comes to the ring and plows Steph. Sable wins. Why is A-Train there? Reasons. I don't know. Maybe he's Vince McMahon's heavy. Who knows? But that match stunk. It could have been left on SmackDown, in my opinion. But what should not have been left off this card and not been booked on SmackDown, but maybe be booked towards closer to the main event is The Undertaker versus John Cena. Even John Cena wrapped a couple of weeks ago on SmackDown saying that this match should main event. John Cena is the precursor to main event Jey Uso confirmed. And the buildup of this match, it's all about respect. Respect. Much like the main event Mafia in TNA. In a rap leading up to this show, John Cena says that he's won so many matches in his first year that kids call me navigation because I never lost. Cena, are you gaslighting? Because I watched your first year in the WWE. You lost a lot. I mean, a lot. Even when you changed gimmicks and became the rapper, you became the master of thugonomics, you still lost. I mean, you won a lot on velocity, but... Uh, R.A. Era podcast, Kyle. Do Does Velocity count? Does it? But hit me up. Send me a DM. Send me a, a voice message or something to let me know if it counts. Leading up to this, we also had a graveyard wrap where John Cena would light up a pentagram or something that looked like a pentagram. He pees on some graves in a rather symbolic way. And one thing here... Leading up to this event, I think a one week or less or more, I don't know when, but before this event, Undertaker's father passed away. And when Taker came to the ring in his motorcycle, you know, he gave the, uh, you know, tap from the heart and the pointing up, he gave his, uh, his love to his fallen father. John Cena wearing an Indiana State number 33 Larry Bird throwback jersey. That is, that's fine. And he cuts his rap, and um, I'm going to hydrate and try and recite this white boy rap in the most white boy fashion that I can. Excuse me. <clears throat> yo, yo, yo. Okay. What? You all can't see me. I don't need leather pants and tattoos to look cool. 
I got throwbacks and steel chains. I run the new school. It's time to take out Big Evil. Leave him resting in pieces. I'ma eat you alive. You'll find your bones in my feces. I'm untouchable. Something, something, suck my tailpipe. I'm half machine like Darth Vader. And then he goes to a bit here. If you think you can beat me, you a stupid mother. <clears throat> Let the arena fill in the blank of what to say. Then, of course, you've done it now. You've gone and made a big mistake. Can't allow blah, 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 blah. The Undertaker's really bad American badass theme. That's not Kid Rocker and Limp Biscuit. John Cena spits water at The Undertaker. Triple H has entered the chat. We have a big brawl around the ring, and finally The Undertaker lands a key lock, locks in a key lock, I should say, and hits the old school on Cena. Old school is also where I heard another obnoxious from the crowd. Screw those Vuvuzelas. We have a goozle, a chokeslam, but it's only for two as The Undertaker is playing with his food here. You've done it now. The last riders were reversed, and then John Cena hits a DDT. And in the words of JR on a recent interview, and I agree with him, the DDT should be a ultimate finishing move, not a setup move, not a move done in the middle of a match, but a super finishing move. And I think both Raven and Jake the Snake Roberts would agree. Cena is exposing the steel turnbuckle when I noticed a sign that says, I write Cena's rhymes. That explains it. So Cena then stomps and chokes the Undertaker, has a corner clothesline. Taker is knocked into the turnbuckle and then out of the ring. Take is sent off the apron into the exposed barricade, and the Undertaker is now suffering from internal bleeding. The FU is countered into a boot and a leg drop. And then John Cena gets the chain, hits the Undertaker in the gut. FU, two count, in the corner. John Cena is doing the 10 punches, but much like the big show at No Way Out 2003, he eats a last ride for the 1, 2, 3. Now, there was a lot of hoopla in this match back in the day in the dirt sheets. Allegedly, I was actually looking up a blog of this while getting the rest of my results ready that they were gung-ho on the under uh, John Cena going over in this match. I believe even Taker was like, yeah, let's build this kid up. Let's do it. But I think Creative had other things in mind for both John Cena and The Undertaker as time would go on. Next up, oh. oh, oh. It's another take off the band-aid. Maybe this show wasn't as good as I remembered it was. There's a couple matches in here that stand out. That last one was damn good. Cena and Undertaker just... They would continue to put on bangers, but Zach Gowan versus Vince McMahon. Now, Zach Gowan, of course, we know is that one-legged wrestler, had cancer as a kid, had his leg taken away from him as a result, realizing his dream of becoming a pro wrestler. And then the rumor and innuendo is that when they hired him, they allegedly hired the wrong one-legged wrestler. I don't know who they were after. I don't know who the other one was back in the day, but it's just a... I don't want to say it's funny because it sucks. It's just a cruel twist of fate. But this match is a long, drawn-out brawl with hope spots and big-time blading by Vince McMahon. He acts in this match. And if Vince McMahon is blading for you, take notes. 
We have a bit here where Vince is kicking the one-legged man out of his leg. This was a one heart. Kicking a one-legged wrestler's leg out of its leg. My joke would land a lot, a lot more. Oh, hello, brother. That just texted me, and I don't know if that made the show. And then Cena, not Cena, Vince McMahon hacks in a lots and a half Boston Crab. And if it's on a one-legged wrestler, I guess that's a full Boston Crab. Vince McMahon is haunting Zach Gown throughout this whole bit. Gown gets a drop kick, uh, punches, and then he wishbones Vince McMahon into the ring post. Pull up pants. We need an ambulance that just drove past my house. There's a girl upstairs talk, talking plants. Missile drop kick, moonsault, Vince McMahon's foot on the ropes. Vince McMahon then gets a chair. And then Hebner takes it away from him. But behind the referee's back, there's a dropkick into the chair by Zach Gowan, and Vince is gushing. He is a bloody mess. Zach Gowan gets a chair shot. He goes for the moonsault again, but actually he goes for a spiral tap. But Vince moves, and then just pins Gowan. After Gowan misses the spiral tap, was this an audible? Was this on purpose, like for a documentary? What was this? Like, this was bad. This was really, really bad. Uh, backstage, Eddie is cutting a promo about winning the U.S. title. He's like, hey, I don't feel bad about the way I won it. Uh, basically saying that Chris Benoit had it coming from Rhino. And now it is time for the main event. And before I get into said main event, I'd like to remind you all that this podcast is on Wrestle Addict Radio. Say it with me, kids. The Cure for the Common Wrestling podcast be sure to follow the rest of our shows on this great network of ours including my good brother from another good mother nate the effing great the reigning defending universal mcw heavyweight champion everyone's favorite wrestling banana the brace for impact podcast also the kings of the rings podcast with our esteemed general manager king Ricky Rose, Willie T, and K Fabe themselves. Of course, you got to kick off your weekend in proper YLP fashion with Mr. YLP. Zach just celebrated his fifth anniversary as a podcaster. And looking at my calendar, I think someone else on war has a five year anniversary coming up at the end of this year. I'll let you know who it, it's, it's, it's me. Um, I'm going to do something at the end of the year, but we'll. Figure that out when we get there. And of course, the Fretzelmania podcast, where I review the Ruthless Aggression era, at least until the end of this year. Main event time. Kurt Angle. Big show. Brock Lesnar. WWE title. Triple threat match. This was when my network was really glitching out, and I couldn't finish much of this match, so I had to go to that TGR Wrestling blog on... The internet, first thing that popped up on Google. So shout out to that particular blogger, or if he's a podcaster today, then hit me up. So we see a lot of plotting spots. Big Show lands the final cut for Big Show's finisher number 42, because that man could not land and decide on a finisher early in his career. Chokeslam, final cut, alley-oop, knockout punch, powerbomb, leg drop, whatever. This man did it all. Angle and Brock then uh, hit Big Show with a bunch of bin lids, including a double bin lid spot. 
A double choke slam is denied. So Angle and Brock decide to do a double choke slam of their own on the big show. The shoving buddies then decide to become punching buddies. And we see an F5 to Angle and show. Two count. Ref pull. Angle busted open. German suplex by by Angle where Brock just goes completely inside out. Lands on his gut. Really good spot here. Big Show climbs to the top rope. But then Brock Lesnar grabs him in an impressive spot. Does a running lagger bomb to the Big Show. Just anything you can do, I can do better. I'm talking about the the Undertaker at No Way Out 2003. I still think that's an impressive spot. Then Angle with a hard chair shot to Brock's head. Angle slammed through the Spanish announce table. The straps come down and Kurt Angle is going off. We see double choke slam and then an ankle lock. Then we see an angle slam on both Brock and the Big Show. Angle pins Brock after both of those angle slams on the other two guys and is the new WWE champion. Kurt Angle's comeback match here. He Went away after WrestleMania 19 to go have uh, neck surgery done. It wasn't as an extensive operation as they thought he was going to get. I think it was more of an experimental one that allowed him to be in the ring sooner. But that was Vengeance 2003, folks. If I could crown this one, if I could steal the gimmick from uh, KOTR, sorry, Ricky, I'd give this a 6.75 crowns. There was a lot more filler and bad wrestling on this than I remember, like Stefan Sable, like Gowan and McMahon, and the APA Invitational, which was just, it was hardcore title schmoz, but I loved the hardcore title. It's its an era that I would love to go back and revisit, hint, hint, wink, wink, but I'll cross that bridge when I get there. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fretzelmania, that's F-R-E-T-Z. L.E. Mania. Check my pinned tweet and my link tree for merch from the Russell Attic Radio merch store, including t-shirts and hoodies and shorts and coffee mugs, beer steins, all that stuff from all of us on the network. Also, be sure to join our Discord. There'll be a link in this podcast where you and me and the rest of the network and some other folks like Taekwon can just share memes and jokes and talk about life. Now, I know uh, Nate's got a big match coming up for a No Regrets Wrestling show in mid-August. Best of luck to you, good brother. You're going to kill it. You're everyone's favorite wrestling banana, and I am super proud of you. Uh, My next show might not be for a little while. It's going to be on a week-to-week basis as, you know, the the busy season is continuing for me where I live. Uh, I am going to have Nate on for SummerSlam, maybe sometime after his his match. There's There's a hint for you there. I might just come back next week for another SmackDown. It's just going to be a little touch and go until the end of the summer. So, folks, until then, TTFN, hot off for now, and keep your stick on the ice. This has been a Wrestle Attic Radio branded podcast.